Your soul is at war with lies. And you have no choice but to fight. Lies have shaped us, told us who we thought we were, held us captive. Lies from outside us, lies from within us. Truth is reality. And when we live at odds with reality, we cannot thrive. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth can be known. The truth will set you free. It's time to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies. To liberate them with the weapon of truth. It is time to fight back in the quietness of our hearts. To stand in the truth. To live no lies. As I said, we are in week number five of the series that we're calling Live No Lies. And kind of the big idea, the big truth that we've been talking about is that we're in a battle for our soul. There is real spiritual warfare, battle between good and evil. And you feel that in your soul at times. During the first few weeks, we talked about some of the enemies of our soul. And that first week, we talked about our enemy, the devil, and that his one goal For every person on the planet is he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the reason he wants to do that is because he hates God and he hates what God loves and God loves you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to tell lies. That's his primary strategy is to get us to believe lies. Lies about God, who God is and what he's like. Lies about ourselves, who we are and what God wants for us. Lies about this life and what makes this life full and meaningful. He wants to make that very confusing for us. And his main strategy is lies. We have an enemy on the outside. But last week, we talked about the reality that we've got an enemy on the inside as well, what the Bible calls our flesh. And the term that we used to talk about our flesh is these disordered desires that turn our life inward toward the self, makes everything about self-gratification. And what God wants is that our life would be turned outward toward him and toward others. But our desires, and we all have these desires, but when they get disordered, what happens is we start to just think about ourselves. And what can happen is, what we start to do is that we love Not only the wrong things, but sometimes we even love the right things, but in the wrong order. We value the wrong things. And we said this last week, and I'll just say it again. This is true of every person that walks the planet. Every one of us is wrestling with these desires. Every one of us have those thoughts. And even sometimes those things that we do, those things that we say, and we start to ask ourselves, like, where did that come from? That doesn't even seem like it belongs in my life. The Bible tells us really, really clear what that is, and it's what the Bible calls our flesh. And here was the bummer, in my opinion, about last week's sermon, is that it was very incomplete. Because all I did was talk about the flesh. I talked about the problem, this battle that we're experiencing. But today, I get the opportunity to talk about the solution. And here's what I want you to hear today. It is not about 
willpower. It is about the Spirit's power in our life. Uh, I'm one of those guys that can, uh, even though I was an engineer in college, I can be a little bit technically challenged sometimes. And so when people have struggles with IT, information technology, I, I totally understand uh, whenever I've got a problem with my computer, I've learned uh, before I try to get help from anybody, turn it off, turn it on. That's what everybody knows to do, right? If you didn't know that, write that down. You need to take that away today. Turn it off, turn it on. But I heard this story one time about an interaction between an employee and an IT director. She could not get her computer to turn on. And so he was talking her through everything that he knew to do, walking through all the flowcharts, everything that he thought could help her get her computer started. And finally, kind of as a last ditch effort, he said, are you sure that you have your computer plugged in? She went ballistic. She just said, what kind of an idiot do you think I am? Do you think I would have called you without having my computer plugged in? And he said, I'm, I'm so sorry, I wasn't trying to insult your intelligence. I will come and see if I can do something with your computer. Well, when he gets to her computer and gets underneath her desk, and look, she's got a power strip, but here's what he saw. The power cord was not plugged into the wall. The power cord was plugged into itself. Yes, absolutely she had her computer plugged in, but it wasn't plugged in to power. This is the picture that I want you to have about your life today and your battle against the flesh. This is how so many of us try to battle our flesh. We try to plug ourselves into ourselves. It's willpower, it's pull myself up by the bootstraps. This is not what God intends for us in this battle. It is not about willpower, it is not about the self, it is about the spirit and what he can do. There's a picture that I want you to have in your mind. Oh, I'll get this thing figured out eventually. Pl plug it in, thank you. <laughs> I, love I love it. This is you. This is your mind and your heart. Maybe what we would call that soul, that piece of you that is being battled against in your life. And here's what we talked about last week, that you have an enemy, and that enemy is your flesh. And another way we talked about the enemy is self. It is about that self, that part that turns us inward, turns us in on ourselves, makes life about us. But here's what we're going to learn as we continue to teach through Galatians chapter 5, is that God has provided for us power power in this battle. And that power is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, oh, oh no. <laughs> IT people, help me. The Holy Spirit wants our life to be turned outward. So I want you to have this picture in your mind because the Apostle Paul, as we go through Galatians chapter five, he's gonna be talking about this battle that's taking place between our flesh, our desire to wanna make life about us, and the Holy Spirit who wants to make our life about love and turn our life outward. 
but our flesh is trying to grab a hold of our mind and our heart. But the Holy Spirit is trying to grab a hold of our mind and our heart. This is the picture of what is happening inside of us in this tug of war. Now let me, as I continue to read through the scripture, I just want you to have this picture in your mind as I read Paul's description of this battle. Galatians chapter five, starting in verse 16. Paul says this, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. This is where Paul is describing this battle between the Holy Spirit and the flesh. And if you remember last week, Paul talks about what are the things that come out of a life of the flesh. When we turn our life inward, he talks about there's behaviors and thought patterns that happen that affect our relationships, not only with God, but with others. Here's what happens when we turn our life inward and make everything about self-gratification. He continues in verse 19. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. When, and when Paul says, and the like, what he's trying to say is like, this isn't an exhaustive list. It wasn't like he went through all the things. He's just like saying, we could go on and on and on. The kinds of things that happen when we turn our life inward. But Paul wants to tell us that when we lean into the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, our life actually turns outward. And there's fruit that comes from our life when we lean into the power of the Holy Spirit, and he continues to talk about those, just listen to these words and descriptions and think about what that means in terms of an outward focusing life of love toward God and others. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love, joy, peace, forbearance, sometimes translated patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So outward facing, outward facing toward people, relationships of love. That's what God wants to be true of us as we lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. And the last thing he says, he says, against such things, there is no law. This is the battle between the spirit and the flesh. These are the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. So how is it that we battle against this enemy of the flesh? Paul, in the next two verses, he gives us two commands, two things that he's asking us to do as followers of Jesus if we want to win this battle of the flesh. And the first is to crucify the flesh. Galatians 5.24, he says this as he continues, those who belong to Christ Jesus meaning that you've bowed your knee to him. He is your king. You belong to him. You are his child. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
that picture, that picture of crucifixion, powerful to a Christian, powerful to a follower of Jesus, because they know what that means. Put to death. Paul is saying, don't, don't coddle your flesh. Don't condone your flesh. Don't try to justify it in some way. He says, crucify it. Put it to death. Don't mess around. Because here's what's true. We are constantly battling our thoughts and our desires and even our actions between our flesh and the spirit. I want to remind you of some things that we talked about last time. It's our beliefs, the things that we think. And we can be susceptible to lies. We've got to pay attention because it's the things that we believe to be true that actually are the outflow of that is our behaviors, the things that we do in terms of how we engage with the world around us. And as we start to engage in a certain way with the world around us, it shapes our character, who we ultimately become. And so what Paul wants us to understand is that every time we make a decision to feed our flesh, it actually changes something about us, changes who we become. When we believe that we're gonna follow our flesh, when we behave in ways that follow our flesh, it actually changes who we are. And here's what I want you to understand today. This, this process, and we've, I've mentioned this probably every time that I've preached in this section, in this series. But here's what I want you to understand about this, is this process is not just linear. This process is actually circular. Everything that we do does something to us. Because when we believe something that's not true, when we behave in a way that doesn't correspond to God's kingdom, when we're becoming something that is other than that, it starts to affect how we believe. It isn't just linear, it's actually circular. Who we're becoming affects the things that we believe. This process goes around and around and around. And when Paul talks about what happens in our life, when we don't battle the flesh, the word that he uses is slavery. What happens is we become slaves to sin. We become slaves to sin, slaves to this process, continuing over and over and over in our lives. You can call it ruts. You can call it habits. Psychology would call it neural pathways that we buy into that shape our life. But here's what the Bible wants us to understand is those things are difficult to break out of. They can shackle our life if we don't pay attention. I, just, I was just thinking about the reality of, it was just a little bit over a year ago, uh, we moved offices around uh, in that wing down there. For months after we changed offices, I would find myself walking to the wrong office in the morning. Why was that? It's not that I'm not a smart person. Well, you may disagree with that. I think I'm relatively smart, but I just built up these habits, these ruts in my life, and that's where I went in the morning, and it took a while to break those. Friends, that's why it can be so difficult to stop sinning, to stop doing the things that we know, those thought patterns, these behavior patterns that we know are not healthy for us, but we've done them over and over again, and the cycle has gone over and over in our life, and we've become shackled. We've become a slave to sin. That's why every thought 
Every, every desire that we're trying to manage in our life, every behavior, it matters. Every one of them matters because the things that we do actually do something to us. They change who we are becoming. They shape who we are becoming. But here's the good news. God has given us as humans the opportunity to override these thoughts and desires. You have what they call self-determining freedom. Simply, you have choices. You don't have to be stuck in those spirals of sin. But here's what's true about those spirals of sin. Our ability to be able to break out of those are not static over time. The longer that we've spent in those cycles, the more difficult it is to break those. The more difficult it is to become free to love people. The more difficult it is to break outside of a life that is turned inward and focusing on self. It becomes more difficult as time goes on. That's why they say things like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It just becomes more difficult. And we see this, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures of how they train elephants. Uh, You might see them when they're fully grown and they've got this little shackle or sometimes even just a little rope around their foot. And there's just a little bit of slack in it and it's tied to this little stake over there. And I always used to look at that and just think, what do they think that that little rope and that little stake is going to do? Like that elephant could just rip It's like one time, and it would tear that out of the ground. But here's how they train elephants. From the time that they're very little, they shackle them, and then they tie them to that stake. When an elephant is little, that's plenty to hold them. And so over a lifetime, that elephant starts to believe and think, I can't pull away from this. And so even when they're older in their life, they just stand there. Because in their mind, they believe, I can't break free. I believe that there are people that are sitting in this room right now that are like that adult elephant that's got a shackle around its leg. Even talking about this idea that we can be free from these negative thought patterns that we have about God or about ourselves, negative behavior patterns, you don't believe that you can actually break out from that and be free. But here's what you've got to hear today. You are just one decision. You are one decision away from a different trajectory for the rest of your life. One decision away. And I'll say it again. Everything that we do, every decision that we make does something to us. It changes who we are. You want to plant a forest? What do you do? Start with one seed. You want to plant a life, a fruitful life? What do you do? One little decision at a time. Maybe an unglorious, unglamorous decision, but one decision at a time, and it changes. It changes who you are and who you are becoming. One decision at a time. But here's what you've got to understand. I'm going to hold this up again. You can't have this kind of a picture about how you're going to accomplish that in your life. You can't leave today and just thinking, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I have what it takes. Because the truth is, you don't. 
You don't have what it takes. And if you walk out of here thinking that willpower alone is going to change your life, you're going to be sadly disappointed. That's why the Apostle Paul, as he continues in this section, he talks about not only do we crucify the flesh, but we've got to tap into the power source of the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, Paul says it so simply. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Back during the Depression, there was a family called the Yates family in West Texas. They were sheep farmers, and they had a lot of land, and they were not making it. Poverty, fear, anxiety about their future. How were they going to live through the Depression? But then suddenly one day, there was a knock on the door, and it was a seismograph team that says, we believe that maybe there might be some oil on your land. They signed some lease agreements around that, and they started to drill. At about 1,000 feet, a little over 1,000 feet, they hit oil. 80,000 barrels a day. And as they continued to drill other wells, even bigger wells, bigger production, even 30 years later, still producing 125,000 barrels a day. They were wealthy, wealthy beyond belief, but they were living in absolute poverty. Why? Because they didn't know what they had and they didn't know how to access it. Friends, I believe that that's what's true. So often for followers of Jesus, as it relates to the Holy Spirit, the indwelling spirit that God sends to be in your life, we don't know what we have and we don't know how to access it. And we live in spiritual poverty. We live losing the battle of the flesh because we don't know how to grab a hold of the spirit because the spirit was God's provision for us. In fact, Jesus at one point said, it's better for me to go so I can send the advocate to you. The indwelling Holy Spirit, God's personal presence in our life, moment by moment, day by day. The Spirit is meant to do so many things in our life. He is our comforter when we need to be comforter, comforted. He is our counselor when we need wisdom and guidance. He is our teacher when we're wondering what is true and what is right. And we're trying to discern between lies and truth. He is our advocate, meaning that he stands up for us. All of those things the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. But I want to talk about one thing that is the role of the Holy Spirit in this battle. Let's go back to this picture here. In this battle, the Holy Spirit came to convict. He came to convict the world with regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Here's how Jesus said it to his disciples, and he also says it to us. John chapter 16, starting in verse 7, Jesus said, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He came to convict. He came to show us those places in our lives where we're believing 
lives, where our desires are disordered, where we're walking a path that is outside what God would want for us. He came to convict. But before we go any further, I wanna make a really clear distinction between two different things, between conviction and condemnation. And when I think about condemnation, I often tie that word also with shame. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation and shame. Conviction has to do with what? What is it that I did? What was my, my thought? What was my behavior that was wrong? Condemnation has to do with who I am. I am God's child, even if I do things wrong. Conviction says what I did was bad. Condemnation says I am bad. Conviction, because it's something that God is doing in and through our lives, it is helpful and it is loving. It is helpful and it's loving. Condemnation, on the other hand, it is hurtful and it's lying. That's why the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 8, 1, and if you don't memorize scripture, I would encourage you, memorize this verse, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no shame. It's not about who we are. We are his children. Nothing changes that. Even when we do things wrong, nothing changes that. There is not condemnation, but there is conviction, a realizing what it is that we've done that has stepped away from our intimacy and relationship with God himself. Think about it this way. Conviction is to our soul the way that pain is to the body. Pain is very helpful and loving, even though we don't like it, but it tells us that there's something going on in our body that's not right. Something is broken, and we need to pay attention to it. And if we don't, something worse can happen. Conviction is the same way. It's just telling us there's, there's something wrong in our soul. There's something that we need to pay attention to. God is trying to get our attention. And when he tries to get our attention, we've got to do something about it. God wants to give you those moral nudges. You know what I'm talking about. We all experience those. But here's what the Apostle Paul would want us to understand. Is that when you have those moral nudges in your life, engage it. Don't dismiss it. Don't coddle it. Don't let it define you. Don't wallow in it, but invite it and engage it in your life. Because the Holy Spirit wants to show you, where is my life disordered? And that's why Paul calls it living by the Spirit. And I love the the picture there. He says, live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Whenever I read that verse, it, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I would walk with my dad down the sidewalk. And always what I wanted to do was have my steps match his. And his steps were always way bigger than mine, but I wanted to take the big, long steps. I wanted to be in step with him. And if I looked aside and our steps got off of sync, I would look back and then I would try to stagger my step until we were in sync with one another. And also don't step on a crack because it breaks your mother's back. You all know that, right? but I wanted to be in step with him. That's the picture. God convicts so that we can be in step with him, moment by moment, day by day, that there wouldn't be a time that we're not moving in conjunction with him. 
He is working in and through our life. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we need to be attentive. When we think about this picture, when we're talking about keeping in step with the Spirit, what we're simply saying is that we learn to say no to our flesh, and we learn to say yes to the Holy Spirit. That's what it means for us to keep in step with the Spirit, or to live by the Spirit, or to walk by the Spirit. You know, this battle that's taking place between the flesh and the Spirit, I want you to understand, it's not like it's two forces that are equal and opposite. They are definitely opposite, but they are not equal. Our flesh has no chance. You just think about it this way, two dogs in a fight. Which dog is gonna win the fight? The dog that you feed. The dog that you feed is gonna win. And so what Paul is telling us is that what we need to do is to starve our flesh by learning to say no to it, those disordered desires. We don't engage them, we don't move toward them. But what we say yes to, we feed the spirit, those promptings to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those we move toward, we say yes to those. And that changes who we are. The things that we do, do something to us. And they change who we are. Now I wanna get really practical. How do we do this? How do we engage the spiritual warfare that we're feeling between our flesh and the spirit? And throughout this series, we talk about over and over that spiritual warfare is fought through spiritual practices, things that God asks us to do to engage with him. And today we're gonna talk about the practice of confession, the practice of confession of our sin. Now, before I go too much further, I want to say some things that I think will try to help dispel some misunderstandings that I think people have about confession. When we talk about confession, we're not talking about God freely forgiving us, forgiving us, because we understand, if you've been around here any time, we understand that when we come to faith in Jesus, all of our sin, past, present, and future, is paid for by Jesus for us. It's not about, confession isn't about us being freely forgiven. It's about us experiencing the reality of that forgiveness. Because there are people that I could ask you, are, are, are you forgiven in Christ? You would say, absolutely. But if I were to say, do you experience the reality of that? Like, I don't know. I don't always feel forgiven. But that's what God wants us to experience through confession. And sometimes I hear people ask the question, if God has forgiven all of my sin, and God knows all of my sin, then why do I need to confess? I mean, if, if it's all taken care of, why is that? And here's the misunderstanding that I think people have about confession, is that we think that primarily confession is done for God. We think that somehow confession is what I need to do for God, but what God knows is that we are the ones that need confession, not him. It's, it's not this picture that, that God is holding on to his grace and mercy, and he wants us to try to pry it out of his fingers through confession. He's not hiding it behind his back, saying, I, I hope you figure it out. I hope you confess everything that you need to confess. No, he wants us to experience, but we are the ones that need to experience because he wants us to experience healing. 
And he wants us to experience a change in our life. Let me read you how James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James chapter 5. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that, so that meaning this is the purpose of it, so that you may be healed. You notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say so that you will be forgiven. He wants us to be healed. Sometimes we can think of that confession as this kind of mechanical accounting process where God is just up there and he's writing down everything that I'm doing wrong and I've got to just mechanically figure out how to get each of those things erased so that I can be in a right relationship with him. It is not mechanical. Everything about confession is relational. God wants us to be close to him. But when we follow lies, when we follow our disordered desires, it separates us from him and the life that he wants to bring to us and the healing that he wants to bring. Confession, friends, is for us. And that's why we've got to learn how to keep short accounts, that we would be right with God moment by moment, that we would walk step by step in the power of the Spirit. I'm going to get really, really practical. How do we do that? I want to give you three things that you can do. And the first one is simply this, an invitation. Invite the Spirit to reveal sin in your life. I love how David said it in Psalm 139. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to give God permission and a responsiveness that we would say yes to him, invite him to show us the things in our life that aren't pleasing to him. Just this week, I was in my office and I went into the bathroom and I have to wear readers when I'm doing lots of reading, but I happened to have my reading glasses on and there was a mirror in front of me. And when I, when I got in front of the mirror with my readers on, I started to look and there was just massive amounts of hair growing off of my ears out there. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I've always, I've always tried to tell people that I don't think I'm losing my hair. I think my hair is going underground and it's tunneling out of my ears. But if I didn't have those glasses on, I, I just don't see it. Even when I'm at a distance looking in the mirror, but you get those glasses on and you can see that my ears look like a cactus. I need to do something about that. We need to give God the glass. We need to ask him to give us glasses so that we can see the things that are happening in our heart and our life so that we can get those right with him. And the second thing that we do, when God reveals something in our life, we become relentlessly responsive. Meaning when we, we get those convictions, those nudges, those promptings that there's something in our life that is out of whack, we respond. We bring it into the light with him. We acknowledge it. The scriptures tell us that we can do things called grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit. It's like when we try to take those promptings and push them away. Don't do that. That's why we don't engage the battle the way that God wants us to. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Respond to those things. Bring them into the light. Because what happens when we start to quench the Holy Spirit is, is our heart actually becomes calloused. It becomes hard. And we're not even able to, to sense and know those promptings and those nudges and those convictions of the Spirit. Don't let that happen. Keep your heart soft toward him. Be relentlessly responsive. And lastly, 
We need to be honest with God and with others. When I say that, I mean, when you confess to God and to other people, be brutally honest and specific. Don't try to give generalities. Be concrete, be particular. Not just kind of vague in what it is that you've done. Be very, very honest. And here's what I want us to press in a little bit on, is confess to another person. Confess to another person. Now, I would categorize that person as a safe person, someone that has your best interest at heart, but confess to another person. Because here's what James said. I'm going to read it again. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Here's my experience. When I confess vaguely, and I only confess to God, those are the sins that I tend to repeat. I get stuck in those cycles. But when I bring that out into the open, in specific ways, not only with God, but with other people, there's something, a way that that breaks the power of that sin in my life. And I'm just like you. I hate having to do that. I don't want to talk with people about the things that are gross in my life. Even this week, I had the opportunity. There was this thing that I knew that I needed to bring it out into the light with another person, but I didn't want to. And there was nobody there, but I know how I am. And if I just let that thing go and go, I'll just get to the place where ah, maybe I don't need to bring that out into the light. So immediately, I just texted a friend and I just said, here's the deal. I can't give you all the specifics, but I need to talk to you about this thing and I need to pray with you about this. So I haven't even gotten a chance to be with that person yet, but that's on the table. The next time we're together, he knows we're gonna talk about that because I need to bring those things into the light because that's what breaks the power of the shackles of our flesh. We've got to be honest with people. This last week, uh, after one of my sermons, I was standing up here, and it's not uncommon for people to come up and have a conversation with me. There was a mom and a little boy that came up, and I could tell that he wanted to talk with me, and she was trying to help him, but he just kept looking at the ground, tell that there was something that he wanted to share, and she just, mama just kept saying, he wants to share something with you, and he wants you to pray for him. And so finally, he got the courage, and he looked up, and he looked me in the eye, and he just threw it out there. He just threw out sin. He was struggling. He was probably, my guess would be five or six years old, and he just threw it out there and said, would you pray for me? I've got to tell you, I just felt like I was standing on holy ground with this little boy. I prayed with him. I prayed for him. And when I was done praying, looked up, and I just looked him right in the eye, and I just said, son... I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. And I want you to understand this, that God is proud of you too. And then I told him this. I said, you are not a little boy. You're a man. Because of what you just did, a five or six-year-old walking up to the front of the church because something was bothering him in his soul and to his pastor that he doesn't even know. He just said, this is the deal. Will you pray for me? But I tell you, after I got done praying for him, I just gave him a big hug and I was just holding him and, and then I started to let go and I could tell that he just didn't want to let go and he was just holding me. But when he finally stepped back, this was just priceless 
to look at his face. That face that was looking at the ground, hard to look me in the eye, as he shared. And I prayed with him. He was beaming. His face was just lit up. I will never forget that face. I'm looking in the background and mama is just crying, crying. Freedom. He was free. I don't know how he learned to confess. I mean, it was just like this sermon illustration that just served up for me. He was a man. And that's what I wanted him to know, that there there are people with big bodies that hide things. They're not willing to bring things out into the light with God and with others. Little boy, you are a man. And I left that day thinking, I want to be like him when I grow up. I want that to be true of my life, that I don't care who knows. I don't care who knows what's going on in my life. I want to be right with God, and I want to bring it into the light with others. One step, one decision. You are one decision away from a changed life. Here's your assignment. I want you to take some time, sometime this week, and actually, I wouldn't mind it if you just did it even right now as we're going to be heading into communion, but I want you to take some time to reflect. And maybe if you've been a follower of Jesus for quite some time, this is the question I want you to ask. When was the last time you confessed a specific sin to another person? Let me say this. If it's been a while, it's probably not because you don't have sin in your life. It's probably because you've lost the spiritual practice of confession. And bringing that out into the open with God and others. How long has it been? Second thing, I want you to take some time to invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart and your life. And you can pray the prayer of David from Psalm 139. Search me. Shine the light in my heart. Shine the light into the dark places in my life, God. Search me. Third question I want you to ask is, where am I sowing to please the flesh and not the spirit? Where is this battle raging in my life. And here's where I want to press a little bit. I want you to confess that sin specifically to Jesus and to one other person. You see, the things that we do do something to us. Those decisions to follow our flesh get us in a cycle of sin. But the same is true of the Spirit. The cycle that we get in of being honest with God and with others about our sin, transform us and make our lives to look more like Jesus. The things we do, do something to us. Now here's a spiritual family. We're gonna step into a time now where we get to celebrate communion together. And this is our reminder together of what it is that establishes that forgiveness for us. It's not what we do. It's not about willpower. It's not about trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's only about what Jesus has done for us. His death on our behalf, his shed blood on our behalf, his resurrection to new life on our behalf. We can have the life that Jesus lived for us through a relationship with him. And we remember that at communion. And here's how we do that around here. We've got the cracker. It's just that reminder of that broken body of Jesus. We've got juice and wine, and we dip into the juice or the wine. We're dippers, not sippers around here. We just dip. But it is our reminder of what it is that Jesus has done for us. 
He's the one that makes forgiveness possible. And I bet there might be some people around here that you've never given your life to Jesus in the way that I'm talking about. You've never made him your king. Maybe this act of taking communion, it doesn't even have to be taking communion, but maybe just in the quietness of your own heart, you would just say, Jesus, I want you. I want you to be the king of my life. I want to surrender my life to you. If that's you, as we have this time of communion together, I ask you to just communicate that to God and that he would send his Holy Spirit to be in you and to walk with you moment by moment, day by day. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you said that it was better for you to go so that you could send the Holy Spirit to be with us and to change us from the inside out. Thank you that you've given us everything we need to battle against our flesh. Jesus, we trust you. We trust you today. And it's in your powerful and resurrected name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.